Like you do not need a mentor. You need some someone to grow with you. Right. And like that that's that's something that a lot of beginners uh, have trouble with is that oh I need someone to learn from. And that's yeah. not the fact. Yeah. Like you need someone to learn with yes. in order to grow up together. Yes. And I think that's the best pa- best part of hacking when you can just, you know, critical thing. Right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, like 30 seconds before we started recording. Just just say that again for the for the mic. Yeah, I I never watched the podcast, so I don't know what we're going to talk about. <laughs> Come on, man. You're killing no, me. I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm no, just no, kidding, no. of course. Um All right, guys. We're here. We're in Japan. Yeah, in Akone. That's yeah. awesome. The live live hacking event is uh is a is a wrap and uh yeah, we've we've just been relaxing for the past couple. I don't know if you'd call it may- maybe relaxing. We've been doing some pretty intense sightseeing. The, for the, the past hiking days. was not relaxing. Man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, what did you guys what did you guys think of the live hacking event? Any any lessons learned or takeaways we wanna we wanna share? Man, I I thought that the live hacking event was uh, really cool in Tokyo and everything. I think like the lesson I, I learned is that how to pick fights, you know, uh, in a way that um, there is some bugs where you need to argue more than others and you do not have the time to argue on every bugs while, right. when you're on a live hacking event scene. So uh, you need to really pick like what are the most impactful bugs and which one do you take time to explain to the program and which one do you just kind of quit arguing about it. So that was a good lesson, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, some of the some of the bugs that had came, come out of this event, especially the things that were shown at Show and Tell, were some of the most unexpected things. I'd say, like, yeah. I was very surprised at, like, the, honestly, a lot of them were very like simple, straightforward, like things. Definitely. That in hindsight, I was like, oh, I should have just, yeah, I'm surprised I didn't see that or you know whatever it is. Um, and some of them were just like insanely big brained, like, yeah. Um, I don't, I don't want to go into too many details, but there was one with like, uh, you would put like the same parameter in twice and. I we just probably just would have never even tried anything yeah. like that. Uh, I I mean that like a lot of uh, the bugs were um, simple technically, but you needed to find how to do it, and so this is like the frugality of uh, bug bounty when you find like something really easy to reproduce, but at the same time you need to be really creative about how you find those kind of bugs. And so there is a lot of people that went the extra miles in the recon because we had like a small scope and there was so much out of the box thinking and it's really inspiring to see the show and tells. Yeah, man, that was that was the thing for me on this one. I, I have a lot of I have a lot of takeaways from this one. Um, it was it was a little bit of a challenging one for me personally. So uh, I was sitting in the in the uh, hot bath with uh, with <laughs> Nagli last night, kind of uh, you know running over what kind of stuff that we could have done differently. And just like you guys said, you know there there were just a lot of bugs at this event that were just like wow um you you know why would you even try that you know yeah. like and and uh so definitely thinking out of the box and then i think another another really thing that became really clear to me this event was um you know the the team made it very clear that like if you are able to impact core components yeah. in pii that they don't they don't care like you know like you you that is what they want you yes, know and exactly. so scope is not a, not a problem at that point right as long as their users are getting protected um which i think is really great but it's something that i didn't 
prioritized quite as well, you know, during this event. Yeah. And and I think um, the the hackers that that went around the scope and then found ways to, uh, you know, attack the core assets in in PII. I think they did the best this this event. And Definitely, that's, that's really impressive. Yeah. Yeah, and I think w one of the interesting things we we actually talked about this like last week on the on the last yeah. episode about where's sort of the ethical boundary about going out of scope and like yes is it okay to go out of scope if it provides impact and i think one sort of caveat to this is it wasn't really like out of scope per se it was it was more like out of scope for the event it would be in scope for the main program yeah. and i think like worst case scenario if you'd really gone like out of scope yeah, out of scope the they just program. moved it to the yeah. main program but they were really looking for things that would cause impact to this to this you know special sure. scope that was being targeted and and just in general to to the program as a yeah. whole and so i think it was really awesome that they were they they said that was okay for you to you know sort of bend it a little bit as long as you're able to provide impact because that ha they have that awesome relationship with the researchers i think that every company should do that uh when they have the mat maturity because um like i don't like scope in the sense of domains right but i like scope about the sense of where you are impacting the data right so in my opinion scope shouldn't be like uh there is this subdomain that is in scope but the other one is not in scope imagine that you have a subdomain that is exposed you do not even know about and there is direct link to the database with a sql injection this is the same database that is impacted with the same data but it wouldn't be in scope and so i prefer when program says uh for instance the, da the core database is in scope, but we do not care about the entry point, right? And there is other programs that are really mature about third, uh, third parties because uh, European companies actually, if there is a third party leaking data or anything, they are still re responsible. The, the first party is always responsible. Yeah. And um, and so it's really cool when you, you can, you know, hunt on third parties also. So I, I really wish we had more maturities in that realm, you know. Yeah, it, it's definitely it's definitely cool to see. And I think, um, you know, like you said, that's something that's a, a more mature program yeah. decision. Uh, but it's really awesome to see. And it actually makes the most sense from a technical perspective, too, because like you run into these programs where it's like, OK, this domain is in scope. Okay, well, what the heck does that mean? Yeah. Because nine times out of 10, that domain is resolving to an IP that's a load balancer. And that load balancer serves many different applications. So if you're saying, okay, this IP is in scope, well, then I can uh, modify the host header on that specific request and get routed to all sorts of different applications. Sure. Are those in scope? You know? um, and so it, it's cool to see a program, you know, like you said, take responsibility as the, f the first yep. party um, and, and do that. Um, the other, the other big takeaway for me from this event was, um, I guess, very thoroughly auditing JavaScript files that are not necessarily on the main asset, you know, yeah. and um, and for me, uh, one of the things that I I knew before this event, and I actually did, but didn't thoroughly assess, uh, was lazy loaded uh, Webpack files, right? Um, Interesting. And so, uh, you know, going that extra mile to uh, you know, open up the core main.js file, dump all of the, uh, you know, dynamically loaded JavaScript files that are also, you know, in that same folder, grabbing all those down, and then making sure you're thoroughly auditing all those to get uh, the API, all the API resources you need. Um, you know, that that was that would have made a big difference for me during this Definitely. event. Yeah, and like, it's very, it's, a, it's very counterintuitive, because if you're hacking on that app, and you look at it in burp, you say you just go to a login page, you're not going to see all of the other modules being loaded because they're lazy loaded. It's only going to load the things that are necessary. And so if you just see, oh, there's this JS file and you just see only a couple little endpoints or whatever, that, and that's it, 
that you're you have to go you have to explicitly yeah, start deeper. to pull apart yeah. those those javascript files and you're going to find the other functionality because it's it's in there you just have to go and get it and if you don't log in or something say you say it's an admin portal right you can't log in well you might not see those but they're there yeah. and if you go deeper you may actually be able to access things within those files and you'll see the other functionality yeah. but it'll take more time and something like js weasel i think you know we've yeah. talked about this before that, you know tools like like that are designed for analyzing javascript functionality those are really going to come into play as more and more like react apps and that kind of stuff that are doing this type of behavior come into play I think I found so many bugs that were so easy, but just like hidden in some JavaScript calls that were made by the front end because I didn't have the privilege or, or anything. And also what's really interesting about the JS files is that there is a lot of um, uh, calls that hasn't been released in production yet. Uh, so it's behind A-B testing. And so if you manage to detect those A-B tests, you might end up with a um, new scope to play with, like a wider attack surface. And especially for companies that do continuous development this is super true so if you manage to change the a b testing and look at all the js files you might end up with really simple vulnerabilities like the basic idor but just because it was so hidden inside the the scope uh you, you no one found it so yeah, yeah definitely interesting monitoring those monitoring those G, uh endpoints has always been you know the js files and then like you said taking that extra layer that's always been on my to-do list for automation you know soft core automation i guess is like okay um, you know, I'm really interested in this one program. I'm going to set up an automation system specifically designed around their, you know, cycle, their their yeah. software development cycle, and have that that pushed out. Um, but yeah, I was going to ask as well um, regarding. You mentioned a a when we were walking <laughs> down the street yes. to the to the freaking uh, shrine earlier today to meet <laughs> up with friends. Um, you know, you mentioned that there was this VS Code uh, plugin that that yep. you you've been using, um, and I imagine it actually would work in, well in conjunction with JS Weasel. Exactly. And yeah. yeah, could you talk a little bit about that because that was a really interesting product. Yeah. So uh, I saw uh, the tweet of Corbin that mm -hmm. basically used JS Weasel uh, with cursor, and cursor is like a wrapper around VS Code. Uh, since VS Code is mostly open source. And basically, they are embedding uh, GPT-4 inside uh, VS Code, and wow. you can directly ask questions about your code base. Okay. What's really interesting is that you can pay um, the subscription, but you can also directly natively use your uh, GPT-4 API key. So you okay. directly pay to OpenAI, and no need to go through their servers. Okay. And um, it's so amazing like uh right now i i'm using it to do uh javascript analysis on uh, google that they use like a lot of rpc weird calls like it's horrible proprietary protocol yeah and basically i'm going like okay that's the entry point of uh, the request right so what are the parameters because they are like so embedded in one function to another function to another function and basically i just asking the ai um tell me which other function you want context to so I can provide it to you and we can reconstruct the request. And I did that like maybe five, six times. And at one point, I just got the request mm -hmm. that I needed to send. Wow. And, and in like the protobuf request. And I was like, oh, that's amazing. And it just built it automatically? For yeah. Wow. And so I used JS Weasel to detect uh, which like, like all the endpoints. You did some automation right. also to get right. the ideas right. And then you just ask cursor, okay, explain to me this code and this is the job like instead of having like six to seven hours of code review you right. do it like maybe in two hours it's so great i love it wow it's really interesting like i think this is something 
before AI or like GPT was really yeah. m- more, you know, before it was as, as flushed out as it is, this would be something that you might have like CodeQL or maybe sure. s- some more of a technical tool be doing. But this, the approach to basically just feeding it into AI and saying, hey, yeah. w- what do I need to know about this? It's so much more powerful because it can do everything just like in an instant where it yeah. just analyzes this huge chunk of data and is able to just parse it and tell you, oh yeah, here's what you need to know. I'm I'm a little I'm a little confused about how that works though because I feel like the code base would extend past the context window. Any uh, any do, do either of you guys know how that works or is it with GPT four like eight K or something? I don't know. Um. So uh, basically, when I use it, I select the lines of code I wanted to, to interpret. Okay. Uh. But they natively use a way to uh compress the file and basically mm. they have like some kind of if I understood correctly a search engine on the client side that uh, that depending on the question will go look for the code before and uh, then giving the context to uh, open ai so you do not have to give everything i see i see a, a bit like bing search is doing like the search engine uh, does the first request right. and then give the data back to open ai and open ai will uh, put context right? i see i see yeah that's really interesting because like what you meant we were talking earlier about like tokens yeah. and and sort of how like ai looks at input as tokens and it splits sure. it up into different segments that it can understand better and sort of looks at those pieces individually and then we'll build like the context together and i think that's like what you said like it, it the way that it parses that is kind of counter counterintuitive because yeah. you might think like oh you know i can't feed a giant file but you can because it it can do some more processing magic on it than, than yeah. it would before. Um, the, the, I, I mean, like LLM are trained on so many data points that actually they can complete context. Uh, so if you say um, this function parses something, they can guess. Uh, it's not like the, the more accurate way to do it, but I think the cursor team did a great job about knowing what to feed to the AI and knowing like what that I already know, so you you can like compress as much as possible the tokens to not you know pay the eight k subscription. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, yeah, and and I, th- I think combining those two tools together, JS Weasel and and um, yeah. was it cursor cursor, cursor. Yeah. okay, like mouse cursor. Yeah, okay, gotcha, gotcha. Um, yeah, combining those two tools together is a really powerful combo. So shout out to Corbin for for yeah. that one. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely, I'm definitely interested to see where all that goes. And JS Weasel, uh, I think we'll probably cover in a little bit more detail on a different episode. Um, but I, I booted it up for the first time during this live hacking event and I've been using it and, uh, it's really cool to see it do automatically what we talked about, you know, yep. breaking out those, those, um, uh, file web packed JS files and having it, you know, drop all of the things there. Um, but I'm wondering, I don't know if you, you've used it, Joel, but for, for you, Lupin, um, I'm wondering uh, how you've been using the tool. Because yeah. for me, I, I've been having a little bit of a difficulty with it. And I talked to Charlie about this, and I think yeah. he's fixing it. But um, I've been having a little bit of difficulty with identifying the portions of the JS code that I really want to an- analyze because there's not a search function presently. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, do, do, you, do you have that same struggle? Have you worked around it? What, how, how are you using the tool currently? Yeah, um, the, the tool misses like a search uh, function. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That, that, that's definitely something uh, that, that needs to be implemented. Um, the way I use it is more uh, about like um, knowing the attack surface and the constructing uh, word list out mm-hmm. of it. So uh, basically I had um, uh, this GraphQL 
SQL um, API uh, mm -hmm. that was um, behind authentication. Mm -hmm. And so it was just for admins, right? right? But you could, with a low privilege user, just because, uh, you know, cookies are where well, I could you could make a simple request to it, but without authorization, of course. Right. And um, the introspection wasn't turned on. Okay. So how do you know which queries do you do? You go to the JS files, right? right? And what I did with JS Weasel that was awesome, it listed all the queries. I just copied all the queries and uh, generated word lists yeah. that I gave to Clairvoyance. Right. Uh, and basically, uh, Clairvoyance will try to brute force the, um, the schema, the graphical schema, right. and give it back to you. And so then I fit the 70 MO, <laughs> like it was a big schema uh, to GraphQL Voyager. And I had like everything, every call that it was being made because they like, in when there is a GraphQL, everything is always documented in the front end. I don't know why there is uh, some libraries that even have introspection inside the JS. Oh, really? Like if it's not turned on, go check the JS and you can copy the introspection and paste it just because they forgot no to turn, uh, turn on uh, a flag. I've and never seen like, that. Yeah, I, I've, I've seen like a lot of times and it's so interesting. Um. So, so... It's so funny you mentioned that because yeah. I literally did the exact same thing. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, except I didn't use JS Weasel for it. I used my own parsing script to sure. uh, you know, uh, expand the webpack files. Yeah. And then I did exactly that. I, I took a regex. I pulled every string that was compliant with uh, GraphQL. Yeah. Um, you know, naming standards essentially yeah. for for queries and for um, for field names and that sort of thing. And I put it all in a word list and I fed it to Clairvoyance. Um, and for those of you that are listening that aren't familiar, we'll link it down below. But Clairvoyance is a is a um, is a tool that. Uh, I guess sort of plays on the problem with uh, GraphQL, where they will recommend you yeah, uh, fields exactly. if you have the improperly uh, defined fields. So uh, you know, let's say you there's a field called store, and you know, I, and sometimes it's even like like pretty pretty far. Like you might yeah. even get away with like sport, and it may be. Did you mean store? Yeah, um, uh, and, it, and they'll it, tell you. It really depends on the backend. Yeah. Uh, so depending on the language, uh, yeah. the, you you can set up uh, the amount of token that needs. To to, to be uh, the same. So oh, really? Oh, interesting. Yeah, so sometimes it's like two tokens apart, so two letters. Sometimes it's three, four, uh, and they can set up that on the backend side. And depending on the framework, they will have a uh, different kind of uh, far way or mm. not, you know? Oh, that's, yeah, well, I mean, it's really interesting that you mentioned that that, that strategy with GraphQL because I was, I was going to say the same thing about not even just GraphQL, but same thing with API requests. Like if, yes. if you're pulling apart those Webpack uh, files and the lazy loaded files, not only will you see the endpoints, but you'll also see how they're being used. Where yeah. is that data coming from? And one of the really powerful things about having all of that just right in front of you in JavaScript, it's yeah. just like Android apps where you know you can decompile it, you can see how everything is working yeah. like right in front of you. You can do the same thing with the JavaScript. All you have to do is pull it apart. You can see, oh, it's making a post request and it builds the body with these fields yes. that are named this and that data comes from here. It's a parameter and that's fed in through here and you can track it all and you can see sort of how that data flows through the application to yeah. get to that request and you can piece it together without ever having used the application sure. at all. You can do it completely from static analysis. Yeah. Yeah. Um, cool. All right. Well, but we we went on a little bit of a tangent there. Um, <laughs> I told you so. I told you. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Right before we started, you were like, "We're definitely going to go on, yeah. on tangents here." So, 
I, I feel like we should at least have you introduce yourself. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> okay, listen, 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 listen. I, I turned I turned it on, you know, at the time that I did on purpose. Um, we'll we'll give you a little bit of a pre-introduction on this episode, but yeah, let, yeah. let's let's he, let's hear the self-introduction or the jiko shokai. Uh, uh, for you, Lupin. Um, so, Watashi wa Ronnie des. Oh <laughs> man. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, uh, I'm uh, Ronnie, uh, also known as Lupin on the internet. Uh, I've been doing um, security since uh, 13 years old uh, because I wanted to become like Arsene Lupin. I, I knew a bit of programming, and I was uh, I read the book of Arsene Lupin. And I was like, how can I become that guy? <laughs> and at the moment, I read the book and I made the association with programming. I thought I created hacking, uh, but. <laughs> <laughs> but but then I learned about all the history, all the culture from the fifties and everything, and I, I love it so much. I started to do yeah. I was gonna say, how's that go? I mean, are you looping? I feel like you're yeah. looping. I feel like you've done that. You know, like yeah, I, I mean, uh, looping is a gentleman thief. I, I'm not stealing from anyone. <laughs> uh, maybe stealing, you know, stealing from companies that because they're giving booty. I don't know. That's a stretch. You're, you're, the, you're the top looping that I'm aware of. Oh, you know, yeah. when I think looping, I think you, not oh, anyone thanks, else. So. Thanks a lot. And um, and yeah, so uh, I, and I started bug bounty hunting like two years and a half ago, so four years maybe I don't I don't remember correctly, but um, and it has been a wild ride. Yeah. Uh, started the live hacking scenes uh, one year ago in Vegas, and uh, it's just amazing uh, of experience. It, it's awesome. How did you How did you get on the live hacking event scene? Did you just get a Did you just open your mail one day and there was an invite or? Um, I think it was like the first ambassador woke up uh, because oh. since I'm uh, an ambassador for France and apparently I did well. I, I don't think so. <laughs> uh, but they gave me an invite uh, to Vegas. Uh, we, we actually won the first World Cup even though the second one we didn't get the first one. <laughs> like, I think I did well. <laughs> they won. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I, didn't, I didn't get out of the first round of the World Cup either. Yeah. And it's just, I don't know, man. Sometimes it's just... You know, yeah. I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not even going to throw any salt, but it happens. Yeah, it happens. No comment. <laughs> Uh, and, and yeah, um, live hacking are way different than the bug bounty. Uh, it's so tiresome. You you get like one month uh, straight of you know no social interaction anymore. Yeah. You know, going to bed at five a.m., uh, starting your day at ten a.m. You're like, <laughs> it's so interesting seeing how how things have shifted in the very early days of live hacking events. It used to be, I mean, sometimes you wouldn't even know the scope until you got there. Yeah, and uh, and it would just be like hack fest. Everybody's just like finding really cool bugs on the same day sure. and now it's evolved so that there's like a, a pre-hacking window there's a duplication window yeah. people are basically you know work 12 hours a day sometimes yeah, more definitely. uh just every single day leading up to the event finding all these really really crazy bugs sure. and then they convene together and even more crazy bugs get found because of the minds connecting together and having these awesome discussions That's between hackers so amazing yeah. so, something that jonathan said uh, jonathan bowman uh that dr bowman yeah dr bowman <laughs> that i really liked is he said that he wanted to have the show and tells before the event starts on site to inspire other people to find mm -hmm. stuff and I think it's an amazing idea. So imagine you, 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 two weeks, you are down the rabbit hole, you didn't find anything, and you have like people showing you vulnerabilities, like, this is how we, we've done it. And like inspiring you into finding new stuff on site. That could be so awesome. Oh, yeah. That would be, yeah. that would be amazing. And we, we always walk away from those show and tells, like, you know, your brains are just 
buzzing, you know, yeah. you're, and, and you're like, oh man, I, maybe I could apply that here or there. And then, and then, you know, you go out and, you know, hit the bar or whatever. And then the next yeah. day you don't even check it. But yeah, it, it uh, that would be, that would, that would be a really good the, idea. The last show in tales in Vegas, uh, there was Franz Rosen that had two show in tales back to back. And I'm so salty. I missed I, this. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and man, like I, I went out of the show and tell with an headache, uh, like because of him, it, it was just so many stuff going on and i was like what the heck is he talking about and i i want to go back again reading his reports and get better at it right because shrentas are like this you get creativity from other people and you 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 don't need to do what they did but you need to apply what you learn for your own creativity and i really like this format because of that yeah i mean Oftentimes, I'd say it's like maybe 25, 75, like, a, you know, a, a one third, like two yeah. thirds kind of split or whatever, where I'll see a bug and I'll be like, oh, I was looking at that thing. I, I almost thought about trying yeah. that or maybe I did try it and I just didn't really push far, yeah. far enough. And I was like, I just tried it. And I was like, oh, OK, well, this isn't going to work. And I just moved on. And Definitely. then that ended up being a bug. But so many other times there'll be something completely out of left field where I'm like, oh, I'd never uh, would have yeah. tried like never ever would have tried anything yeah. like that. And I sort of have to take mental notes and be like, okay, that's something that I need to see if that's gonna work. Sure. Why did that work? Was it like a specific system? Was it how it was yeah. set up? What went wrong in the back end to make that happen? There, there, there was um in, like my first event in Vegas, there was a great show and tell from uh, Tom Anthony. Mm -hmm. And um the the the, uh, the one in London, there was a customer that was the, the same one. Mm -hmm. And I remember like uh this feature I did I never hacked on that customer like on the other event I hacked on the other customer. Uh but I remember he mentioned a really interesting feature and so i went looking for that feature and i was like that's interesting remember what it did and like i was remembering like the bug and everything and i found a bypass like uh, a simpler version but complex because like it was a lot of parsing requirements and stuff like that so the payload was simpler but it was like so hard to find and uh, basically because of his show and tell i got like a, a bypass of one of his vulnerability for one year ago and it was like that's the purpose of Shrental, like getting new visibility and new creativity, you know? Yeah, I think I think that's something that we could think about implementing in the ambassador program as well. The yeah. HackerOne ambassador program is like if we... Uh, you, you're the ambassador for France, I'm, yeah. I'm the ambassador for uh, Virginia. Um, and I think it would be really cool after, you know, we go uh, do a spree of hacking to have a little show and tell, you know, for our, sure. our locality that or whatever, awesome. that'd be really good. And we'd learn a little bit more, uh, you know, from all the other hackers and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, we'll have to, I'll have to think about implementing yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> Brainstorming session. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, so, um, I guess bringing it back, uh, Lupin, you recently started a company called Lupin and Homes. Yeah. Um, beautiful website, lnh.tech. <laughs> dot, LNH dot is yeah. that what it is? lnh.tech, yeah. Beautiful website. Everything Lupin designs, <laughs> you know, or has designed is like super gorgeous. Um, talk to me a little bit about that company, what your goals are for the company, how yeah. it correlates to Bug Bounty, that sort of thing. Um, so... It really started uh, like before founding this company. I was a senior security engineer uh, at uh, Mano Mano, so a European uh, company like marketplace online. And uh, I, I entered that company when I was 18 years old. Uh, uh, I did like two years there, and I learned so much. And I learned also like 
what the, the purpose of research in security and how it can be applied uh, to companies. And from that learning, I was like, I need to do more uh, research in security, right? Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to interrupt yeah. and then we're going to come back to that. So actually, you know, you, were, you, were at, you said you were at Mono Mono, you joined when you were 18. Yeah. And then you left like when? When, when I was 20, 21. 21, yeah, yeah. And which is now. Yeah. Okay, right now, gotcha. Yeah. And, and you, what was your title at Mono Mono? Uh, senior security engineer. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Wow. So, so how the heck did an 18-year-old just jump yeah. right into <laughs> big marketplace and get to be a security? How did that work? Like, what was that um, process? So, um, basically, I, I was never good at school. I, I always hated it. It's uh, a good sign. Yeah, <laughs> it's a good sign. Yeah. And, um, but I, I always wanted to do a creative job, right? And I, I was hacking and, and someone introduced me to, um, Backbrinty, right? I, actually, it was, uh, I, like my teacher that told me, Hey, there is this CTF. Do you want to participate? And yeah. In high school? Yeah. Uh, it was like a European CTF, uh, okay. the, the CISO, uh, for high schoolers, uh, from all around Europe. Okay. And I, I brought like uh, two friends with me and I told them, you do not have to play the CTF. I just need pe people from my <laughs> team to go there, like to, to put okay. someone on the list. And, uh, we, we qualified to the finals and uh, there was, uh, all the conferences and stuff. And there was a conference from Yes React, right? Uh -huh. And they, they were telling, Hey, you can, actually get paid for finding security vulnerabilities wow. and i was like that's legal that's yeah, awesome yeah i got <laughs> mind blowing. Yeah. yeah and and so i got back uh, at home and i was like okay what is back and uh, uh i stumbled across hack one and you could disclose yes. vulnerabilities and that's the only reason i went on hack one uh. <laughs> so uh, ironically yes we had gave me the idea to go on hack one oh. i'm yes. so sorry <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but uh yeah i really like the disclosure because actually you, you you could share vulnerabilities and you could prove uh your experience yeah. right and so i started bug bounty hunting it was hard at the beginning but because of the reputation and the fact that you have a public profile yeah. i use that as uh, my cv my resume and i showed companies that hey i actually managed to hack mm -hmm. those big companies and uh i have the technical skills yeah. right and you know, I, I done some research. There, there was stuff published in the media. I did some interviews yep. in the television. Visibility also helps. Yeah. And, um, all of that, like uh, one day, a friend of mine, uh, Zax, uh, told me, "Hey, there is uh, this company that will hire a security engineer. Uh, uh, they didn't open the the job yet, but I recommended you." Mm -hmm. And like two days afterward, I got a ping, and I, they actually hired me before Wha the job was open. <laughs> yeah. Wow! Uh, and uh, actually, uh, based only off of a recommendation, or did you do an interview? I did. I did an uh, interview. Okay. I like. I did several. Interviews interviews with the team I was say they saw his work yeah. and they're like we need to hire this guy i did several interviews they, they were great really funny interviews actually and uh jules that was uh my manager another one that you know but like uh he he was so great with me he's also really young at the time i think he was 24 mm -hmm. and he was my manager and mm -hmm. i was his first uh, employee and we had like a great relationship he helped me grow and you know, uh, that led to research and to creating my mm -hmm. own company. So basically, my brother has like a similar stories with studies. Uh, he never 
uh, like he did seven years of first years of college, mm. right? He, he, <laughs> what, he seven times. <laughs> yeah, he, he like b because he was bored of it, and so he did like actually uh, the first years of my other brothers in law, uh, like in Lowe's uh, stuff and in philosophy, and he never liked anything. But uh, my father one day said, "Hey, you don't know anything about programming, about development. You yeah. you barely know how to use a computer, but there is like the forty-two school." Uh, network mm -hmm. that opened like it was like renew at the time in okay. uh, 2017 i think and uh, he said uh, to him go do that school and basically it's a school without teachers okay. uh and oh, th th there is no courses like you just have exercises uh of programming mm -hmm. and you do not need to know programming to get into that mm -hmm. school it's 100 free and the school is open 24 7. wow so to get into that school you need to pass a logical test okay. and then you have something called the piscine which is the pool okay and the pool basically you have one month of intensive programming where you need to learn from scratch to become like an expert in C and okay. C plus plus. Oh wow! Okay, which is horrible, horrible. Yeah, yeah. And if you pass all the tests, you get in the school. Okay, right. So it's hardcore mode. You and, need to try out. And what's like what's sort of the incentive to? to like pass that test is, is there some sort of like is it very exclusive is there like a certain like once you're there it helps you get a better job yeah. or, or why why would people want to Be push through that and learn c and z plus plus and stuff because in order to get there you learn so much in a condensed uh time so so in one month you actually know how to program fully in c and c plus wow. plus which is astonishing yeah. like what, what they managed to do and in one year you can get a job for the be like the, the better students yeah. or otherwise in two three years but you do not need any degrees and you will get hired by companies wow. so that's the incentive like you do not know what to do with your life go to that school if you like remotely computers yeah and he actually did, and he became like a good backend developer, like, but like yeah. really, really good. And um, he, he, he worked for many different startups. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we were talking and, you know, sharing, sharing knowledge about, you know, our jobs. And one time we're like, I do research in security, you do development. Mm -hmm. We need to do something. Yeah. We need to do something. Together. And, so, <laughs> and so we wanted to create that R&D company. And because my nickname was Lupin, we needed to find a nickname for him. Mm -hmm. And like Holmes was the perfect one. Like Sherlock. Yeah. yeah. And it goes really good with him because uh, I guess Holmes used the dedu deduction. Like when you are programming, you need to, you know, find the best path to create something yeah, yeah. and homes is really like that and also my brother do, do not like to talk in the mm -hmm. medias uh, do not like the fame he, he exactly like Sherlock Holmes mm -hmm. and we're like this is like the great persona for him right yeah and so Lupin and Holmes is really about you know trying to complete one another we are opposite sides but like oh, the opposites of a coin mm -hmm. right we, we, we just yeah yeah a coin yeah. is like they the must be together but yeah. never at the same time yeah. exactly and so I I use Bugbunty as a way to do research and then everything that I learned from Bugbunty about you know maybe fixing vulnerabilities or finding the vulnerabilities I then asked my brother to code tools and then uh, those tools are going to become products uh, that we are going to sell to companies maybe to bug hunters but mostly for companies so so you've got uh, you know, on that line, you've got a secret product <laughs> that that we won't talk about on on this episode, but we will be talking about on a future episode. Yeah. And uh, and your brother is is 
primarily doing the the coding for that? Yeah. Uh, oh, wow. He's doing okay. uh, the, the entire backend. Wow. Um, and it, it's it's pretty good because um, sometimes I ask him to do something uh, security related, and he's like why <laughs> like what why would anyone try that and i'm like that's the whole purpose of the research exactly yeah <laughs> yeah no that that's great um yeah. yeah the and so i guess how is it with you then um working with somebody else's code because for me like especially within my automation framework I feel like I need to know the ins and outs of it. Yeah. And even sometimes when I don't, when I look at a piece of code that I wrote like yeah. three years ago, four years ago, it's like, you know, who the frick wrote this? Yeah. <laughs> you know, before Joel started influencing my Python programming. Uh, so, I mean, has that, has that worked all right for you? I mean, have you written any of the code yourself? Yeah. I, uh, I've written some of the code, uh, mostly for the clients, uh, but not uh, for the backends. Um, I think it's better if I do not touch the code. Uh, <laughs> not, not, not because <laughs> That's what he tells you, at least. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, definitely. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and uh, it's more like we need to separate our jobs. Like, my yeah. job is to actually find new ways to do research yeah. and his job is to develop and it's actually good that i do not touch the code because i'm doing like a bit of the product manager yep. like i ask things that are not possible right. and he needs to find a right. way to right. do right. them yeah i actually yeah. love that that sort of um that separation of roles yeah. where normally you would say like research and development is sort of like globbed into one thing yeah. where you know you're doing research and you're developing but research and right like one yeah. of you is doing research one of you is doing development and sure. it sort of allows you to have a singular focus yeah. and really hone in on that because one of the things that we've talked about is um you know there's the xkcd right where it, yeah. it's about automation and it's you know over time all of your time starts to get taken up by having to maintain and manage this system exactly. and that is going to take away from the amount of time that you have to do research sure. and actually learn new things learn new techniques and explore and find yeah. new bugs and that kind of stuff and so if you can separate that out and say here you manage with the development i'll manage with the research that really allows yeah. each of you to sort of hone in that craft to 100 exactly. percent I always take an example of a, a proof of concept that we are doing right now. Uh, basically, there was like this target that is really known for blind uh, XSS. And I was like, we need to find a way to automate blind XSS, but not in the way that do dumb automation about just, you know, uh, putting everything out there and just see what will uh, happen. But like, you know, try to find the right payload for the right context. And this is hard, but I know that some hunters are really good at understanding how the um, uh, panel, like admin panel size works, right? And they know the right payload to it. And I was like, we can do some detection out of it, right? And so I asked him to create a semi-automation tool. So I not I don't like to automate everything. I like to, you know, understand what I'm doing and to have, you know, hands on everything happening on the process. But there are things that, you know, like finding the right payload and putting it, writing it again or copy pasting, it takes so much time. And so we created like this uh, blind access framework where basically you can put templates and you have your own config files and you can actually put, you know, uh, in the request templates, mm -hmm. it would do some smart uh, match and replace to actually put the right payload. And so you do not need to know the payload by mm -hmm. heart, just 
create your templates and you go for it. Mm -hmm. And this tool is highly modulable. Mm -hmm. And right now we are giving it to a few uh, bug hunters to test it and see like what people need out of it. Yeah. Uh, one feature that I really would like to, to do is that uh, creating data flows, mm -hmm. uh, like request flows, but, uh, better said, uh, where, for instance, there is blind exercise that may happen in the checkout, right? Mm -hmm. And that's something it's really hard to automate. Yeah. And what I want to do is like from the login up to the checkout, you could uh, record all the, the requests. Right. And so replay all the requests yeah. and like say- Like logging in, adding a product, going to checkout. Exactly. And then, but you modify one request at a time, mm -hmm. and um, if the request is not uh, like since you record the request and response, if the response is not expected, you drop the entire flow mm -hmm. and you start from the beginning with a new request, mm -hmm. almost like fuzzing. Uh, but Almost like fuzzing, but in a way that you keep the logic of, you know, adding a product in yeah. your cart and then from the cart guess, you are paying. I should have said more like symbolic execution where, where yeah. it's like you have a certain flow and you say it has to meet all of this specific criteria. And if exactly. so, this is a success case. Exactly. So, so I'm, I'm a little bit uh, curious. So, how does that that flow correlate to blind XSS? Are you trying to get the application into different states where you think that it may trigger yeah. some sort of uh, appearance in a log log on exactly. an admin panel or something exactly. like that? Or there was a research for some for, from someone that was really interesting about um, using log4j, uh, like trying to trigger log4j uh, payloads, in, but in a real weird situation. And basically, like the research was about doing error-based uh, requests. So you will trigger a lot of requests. You will try to, you know, get banned, your IP banned, stuff like that, and put, you know, beacons in the headers, stuff like that. Everything that the app shouldn't do, you try to do it in order to generate a log. Mm -hmm. And those kind of flows, I'm saying, like... Yeah, or like an incident or something yeah. like that. Like, some, someone look at this guy. He's doing something weird, and then that... Exactly, and that will trigger the, the flow. Uh, for instance, uh, you have a checkout page and you put a product. Imagine, Im maybe imagine that the API, you can change the product name or the cart name. And that's, that. you know, you need to test those kind of thing. But it takes so much time to test all the different possibilities that my, my dream will be to have those data flow. And, and when you say possibilities, do you mean, because this is going back to what you were saying earlier about a payload, are you talking about like, Pay, like, like like using a polyglot payload for like where it will trigger on the admin side or are you talking about at the entry point like the parameter that, that, that you okay, are so changing you, you're saying okay you know log in add a product um, go to the cart uh, change the cart name submit yeah. the you know submit the order exactly. and then the, the payloads in the cart name and then exactly. go back do it again and but then this time change we do the it in the notes, shipping the yeah the nose notes, the shipping the yeah exactly gotcha very cool yeah that would be a really cool automated flow yeah uh, we we're still working on that. Uh, it's a lot of work, and especially yeah, 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 yeah sessions make it very difficult. Exactly. I, it's interesting because um, one of I'm I'm a little ashamed to admit this, but I haven't I didn't even use Nuclei or like HTTPX or anything yeah. until like a couple weeks ago, and um, I I think one of the things that really pushed me over the edge to start doing that is that I like you did basically entirely manual testing for, yeah. for a very long time. I, I, I would focus on specific things, I would see weird behavior and I would ch chase that yeah. down. And I came to a point where I realized like, yeah. I'm, I need to do more breadth 
but it doesn't have to be necessarily in depth. Like yeah. if I just want to identify, oh, this host is online, I don't have to go open 15 tabs. I yeah. can just run a tool that does that automatically and make my life a little bit easier. Yeah. And then maybe I can do some manual testing to figure it out. Or I can yeah. take a polyglot glot payload or or you know, a exactly. tool like what you're writing and use that to even go one step further yeah. and narrow down my scope even more. Well, yeah. Uh, well, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, what, what's interesting about automation is that you, there is, in my opinion, three ways of doing backbone team. You, yeah, you have full manual, so you just check the request one by this one. This is exactly what I yeah. was going to say. Good, good, there, good. There is full automation uh, where you basically trust your servers and computers mm -hmm. to do everything. And there is like where I kind of see it uh, semi-automation. Yeah. So my problem with automation is that it's not becoming like about getting creative your availability and understanding your scope. It's about doing a race mm -hmm. uh, against all the people that does automation. Right. You do not need to have the most accurate results. You right. need to be the first one, right? right? Uh, for instance, the subdomain takeover scene is really like that right now. Yes. So if someone has a specific automation and someone maybe know how to code in, in Go or Rust, this person will get the subdomain first, right? right? And that's not in the way that I like to do hacking, but right. you can be really good at it, right? Right, right. There is manual testing where it's really long. You need to go thorough. You you made a tweet about, you know, knowing the application till you get sick of it. Yes, yes, And yes. I'm sick of getting sick of applications. Yes, you know? yes, 100%. <laughs> yeah. And because it's such a yeah. grind. Like, I, I think exactly. we've talked about this a lot. Like, you have to get intimate with the application, yeah. right? Got to yeah. get intimate with it. But that... I mean, some applications, the amount of features, the amount of depth there yeah. is to an application that can take weeks, maybe yeah. even months to fully understand every exactly. little piece. Every, I mean, I'm thinking about like, it's a great yeah. example where, I mean, such a huge complicated application where yeah. it can take so long to get a full grasp of how does this thing work? How do these systems connect That's together? Sure. And if you aren't using tools to your advantage to sort of take you know, jump yep. up five stairs up up or whatever, right? Yep. Like you just have to kind of use some of the tools that are out there because even though it might feel like, oh, you know, I, I really want to just do this manually. Yep. I don't want to, you know, let the tools tell me what to do. You know, it's, yeah. it's really worth it. It's worth your time and Definitely. it's worth the amount of effort and, and energy that you're going to spend, you know, days, weeks, whatever it would to sure. learn that application just to, you know, get one step yeah. ahead because, uh, you know, the sub subdomain, uh, takeover is a great example. I know tons of people who do automation for that kind of yeah. stuff. And for, that's not really what my focus is, right? Like, yeah. I, I understand, like, yeah, I, you could maybe code up a really fast example, but you're starting at the beginning compared to all these people who have been automating exactly. for a very long time. They're already multiple steps ahead. And instead, you could focus on something that is deeper that the automation is not necessarily going yeah. to pick up. But you can get there by taking a couple shortcuts, right? You That's can true. learn some of the the you know nuance to that application without having to go through the whole manual process. Yeah. And, and from the very beginning, uh, I, I think about it kind of like learning a language, right? Uh, this is a great exactly. example. You, you've been learning Japanese. <laughs> yeah. and, and it's like, you know, uh, it's it's instead of, you know, learning one word at a time and then learning 2,000 words and then being like, okay, now I'm going to try and say, hello, my name is Joel. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's like learn... Hello, my name, right? Yeah, the, the, hello, my the, name the, is. The pieces that actually help you in your daily life. It, that, that's like a really good example with Japanese is that instead of understanding like every word, uh, I'm, what I'm trying to do is actually say sentences that I will use during my trip. Like for instance, uh, I want this thing. Uh, kudasai. Like, and, and that's it. Like I do not need to 
know everything, but it's for the record, the he's been learning Japanese for like four days. Yeah. <laughs> very, very, very fast. Yeah. Like, like he Thanks. picked it up so fast. Uh, yeah, I, I, I can't have a discussion yet. So that, <laughs> that's my goal in two weeks, you know. Uh, but, but, but yeah, like th this is a good example. For instance, uh, you also like with semi-automation, you need to know what is worth automating yeah. for instance uh, the, uh yesterday we were looking uh, with justin um uh, on google and google uh, has a lot of proprietary protocols and there is it worth automating at one point we were asking this question this application we want yeah, we want i asked to you this exactly yeah. i was like lupin is this you know we we, we read a great write-up on essentially how it works which will which will link yeah and uh and we we're like okay so do we want to build a, you know, essentially a burp extension surrounding uh, making this much easier to test, or do we want to just look at, look at, you know, take our knowledge of the protocol and essentially yeah. just every single time uh, burn that additional mental cycles exactly. to, uh, you know, translate in our brain to, you know, what we're seeing, and and that was a discussion we had, and I think that's a, a really important discussion to have for automation. Um, uh, yesterday we landed on building the automation because yeah. we uh, that that those mental cycles. Uh, really inhibit uh, creativity in hacking. Yeah. And this is something we talk about on the podcast a lot, but Definitely. anytime you can reduce friction to, to testing, um, you know, you want to be able to, ideally, in an ideal world, you want to be able to have an idea, oh, what if I did this? Yeah. And then test that immediately yeah yeah and and that's what we're kind of shooting for with that so yeah it's it's exciting for sure well, what's really interesting about this specific application and why we went on the automation route of it is because this application used this google proprietary protocol mm -hmm. uh, called, called batch execute uh, yep. to doing uh, rpc's call yep. but this is not the only application that use right. this protocol right and so basically if we build automation with that specific app in example like for instance you went like for manual testing and I went from automating what he learned yeah. from the yeah, manual yeah. testing. And so if we have a good proof of concept yeah. with that application, every other Google application 100%. using that protocol, we we be able to assess it faster yeah. and to understand it better. Right. And so that's what was the reason why... We're coming for you, Google. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the reason why the automation made sense. But at the same time, we didn't went on the route of, okay, we're going to get all the requests from the yeah. JavaScript and then play it and right. fast them. It's just like getting all the requests and having like a template right. of what to send yes. and then we can do manual testing. Yeah. So we save hours of reverse yes. engineering yes. the JavaScript to for concentrating only on the creativity part, yes. not the searching, but on the, hey, is a uh, pollution on that uh, parameter? Right. Uh, what if I put this ID here? You know, that kind of stuff. Yeah, and, and, and I want to say as well, it, it, just before we jump into something else, but the you, it's it's very tempting to think about it like a math equation. Like, yeah. okay, um, am I going to save brain sort of CPU cycles by by you know spending let's say three hours up front to build the automation? Right, yep. uh, is that going to save me three hours worth of time? And uh, I thought about it like that for a while, but then I realized this is really not uh, the best way to think about it because precisely we we're not catching and quantifying yep. that whole piece of like how much it's inhibiting our creativity yep. or inhibiting our our attack vector formulation 
to constantly be having to, all right, now I got to URL code this and I got to stick this in this little JSON blob and uh, I got to fix the escaping and blah, 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 blah. And so, you know, uh, I think oftentimes like that, especially when you're committing to a target for a longer period of time, um, even if you think you won't necessarily get that time back, you will get ROI on that because your brain will work more efficiently in that environment. That's true. Yeah, 100%. I've also done some hacking on Google uh, maybe like a month ago. Okay. And I ran into a very, very similar situation where um, just like the entry point to hacking, it can be very difficult because of these specific protocols yeah. and, the, and these weird formats that they use. And so it's not so much that you're building out like a tool that's going to automate the entire thing, yeah. but it's really almost just like a helper script, right? It's like in the same way that Burp has a pretty tab and a raw tab, right? Yeah. It, you can just make it format it for you. or You can make it decode that for you or make it sure. readable for you so that when you hover over the, the request or when you're scrolling through, you can identify and you can pattern match manually yeah. significantly faster and easier than you would with, by doing it over and over again manually and being like, hold on, where's that uh, weird bite that I'm looking for? Okay, there's the there's the type. And you know, just yeah. that is very mentally draining. And it's just like having, you know, like a, sometimes I'll do it with Python. I'll just write like a little function or yeah. a script or something and I'll have it in my terminal and I'll just I'll just have it like read from my clipboard or something to do yeah. it automatically and that's so much easier than than like writing an entire piece of tooling out. Definitely. Yeah, actually Joel I, I I steal it from you because I actually want you to talk about that a little bit cuz that's like one of the coolest things that I've seen about your hacking methodology. So essentially it, and please expand, but he's got a set of functions that he's built over time and then you essentially just open up the Python terminal it reads from the clipboard and then you you can kind of chain together these automations right yeah 100 percent. i have a little module i call PyHack, okay. and basically <laughs> whenever i i use ipython as as my terminal okay. um, and essentially i'll just import this file and it has a bunch of little they're like aliases like bash yeah. aliases for me but they're more complex and it's easier for me to write in python than it is yeah. in bash and it'll, it'll do stuff like url decode or yeah. slash escape like a, a common scenario is i'll copy something that has slash ends in it right and yeah. i want to see it without like, I want to see them literally as slash and so I have a just a little helper function that takes them decodes them and prints it out manually That's awesome. and just to make it like so much easier um html decoding uh hex hex encoding hex decode like and just little tiny helper things yep. things to group stuff these are the types of like very little you know nuance that makes it so much easier and you, and you have them for everything yeah, which is yeah, so all impressive sorts of to me yeah like like uh, every single time i'm like oh okay joel's gonna have to code something like because because we, we we pair hack you know from yeah. time to time so like uh I, you know i see your screen you know when you do this and I'm like, all right, this time he's going to have to do like some like dot replace shit or something like that. Yep. No, every single time you've got a function for it. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. On that, on that note, on the pair hacking, I was sitting in front of them uh, at the PayPal event. And, uh, <laughs> it's just the best <laughs> thing ever to watch them, both of them all day on one single problem. Oh my God. Like, I haven't seen that many use of muscular faces over <laughs> the day. Like both of them were like, oh, Oh, why? What? what? <laughs> it's like I think I think I, I figured it out. Oh no! Yes, no. <laughs> that, that was just so funny. But you guys really complete one another, and I I, I think it, it really works well for you. Yeah, I think pair hacking works specifically well for for Joel and I. Like, yeah. uh, I think I think. Uh, I, I like to say it. I I point Joel, you know, yeah. at, at the thing like Joel, <laughs> brain power that you know, like. <laughs> to, to, um, to be honest, I think that like every 
persons that are doing backbiting needs a uh, pair hacker uh, yeah. with, with them. And that's what we've seen in the top uh, backbiting hunter community. Yes. Like uh, if you see uh, Franz Rosen, yep. Matthias Carlsen. Yep. If you see Jonathan, there's Sean. Yep. And uh, like everyone is, uh, like there is one hacker yeah. that always with you. 100%. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like, so, so we've always said like, Two brains are better than one. And this doesn't yeah. have to be an in-person thing. I think one of the advantages of being in person is that you can feed off of each other. Sure. Like we don't even like there'll be things that we just don't even like talk. Like we'll just be like looking at the same thing and we'll be yeah. picking up things at the same pace. And I'll be like, oh, did you see that? And you'll be like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's really interesting. <laughs> and, and it's like, what's that? Right. But it's like we're we're just sort of on that level where yeah. we're able to sort of go. And when you get to that point, your efficiency is literally 2x or more yeah. because you have two people, two two perspectives. Like he has seen th things that I haven't seen. I've seen things that he hasn't seen. I know techniques yeah, that he doesn't know. He knows other. techniques that I don't know. You've got little scripts that can encode <laughs> things faster and I can't. Right, and, and he knows like, he's like, oh, just here, do this. Uh, you know, I found it like, just run yeah. this thing. And I'm like, what? I don't even know how this works. Whatever, I'll just run it. it, it I, like last time in Vegas, I met Matthias Carlson and he, we were talking about that. And he told me what you need to do is to find someone with the same technical skill as you. Yes. Uh, but at the same time, that can complete you. Like you do not need a mentor. You need some, someone to grow with you. Right. And like that, that that's something that a lot of beginners... Uh, I have trouble with is that oh I need someone to learn from and that's yeah. not the fact yeah. like you need someone to learn with yes. in order to grow up together yes. and I think that's the best pa best part of hacking when you can just you know critical thing right right, right. <laughs> right. And, uh, honestly uh, honestly one of, one of the most amazing things that I see especially with like mentor relationships it's not always like mentors oh, so many times I'll be mentoring like someone who's new to bug bounty and they will ask what might seem as a simple question, but yeah. I'm like, why haven't I ever thought about that? Like, why, what, like, I just made like some sort of assumption because yeah. I was, you know, I was, I'm more advanced and I, I just like was like, oh, it's definitely going to behave this way. And the beginner will be like, is it going to behave that way? And I'm like, yeah. actually, is it right? Like, <laughs> I should probably look and check. And, and that, again, it's like, you are learning with them. You're growing yeah. together. It's not just like, oh, let me teach you this, right? Like some of it is that, but it's also you have to feed off of each other and be willing to to open and change your perspective and, and learn new techniques. Yeah, uh, that, that's actually how I learned um, hacking. Like uh, I went on discords, like beginner discords, because I was a beginner at the time. And all the questions that the beginners, I was trying to answer them, but not like I was doing the RTFM for them uh, and i was like but i was like all the questions that they have is question that i will have and if i can answer them right now when i will confront it it will be easier for Dude, me that's great yeah and i think that's like if you do not have anyone uh to to learn with it's great to do it that way because you have like so much question from all over the people like you know uh getting access to attack surface that you do not have like for instance hey what is this protocol yeah, what is this? Can you hack it? And like, I, I, I just went like grinding for like three, four months. And by the end of the day, you get actually like a good skills about what an attack surface is. And when you are going on bug bounty hunting, it's easier for you and you feel safer. Yeah. So much of this goes back to like, when I try and describe how you should be picking up hacking, yeah. it's really, you should be 
in the beginning, question everything, right? Like, yeah. what is HTTP? What, what what is this get slash HTTP slash one point? What, what does yeah. this mean? Like, how, what is this structure? Why, why does it look this way? How does it behave? How does it in, get interpreted? When I, when I click a button, what's happening? Oh, man. And, and like just breaking that down and understanding it at, at, a, at a like fundamental level yeah. builds those core building blocks that you can then use forever, right? Just like what you said, like yeah. building out a tooling that will make your life easier when you're testing some specific protocol. It just sets the ground floor so that yeah. you can go up from there and you Definitely. have a solid foundation that um, that, that that happened to me uh, when i was uh, trying to use a bypass for ssrf and uh basically i went you know on the cheat sheet and uh, and took like uh, a uh, octal uh bypass like basically the ips in octal format and you put it and i was like what is this format? And so I went directly at the source, the Corvid, the RFC of IP, and it started at 6 p.m. and ended up at 5 a.m. The freaking rabbit hole of what the heck is an IP. But by the end of the day, it helped me so much to bypass uh, stuff because an IP can be so many things. It just needs to be a 32-bit integer. But they do not specify how, like if it's in an hexadecimal in octal, uh, like the point, the, the four dots, uh, format is just, you know, a convention. But actually, you, every, um, caller needs to interpret, uh, all the different kind of formats, which is insane. And, uh, when you know that, you know how to actually bypass, uh, those kind of stuff. Absolutely. And, and those sort of, those sort of tricks are, are the only you know you're gonna find those tricks yeah. by diving deep and getting and getting far into those. Yeah, we, we had a thread uh, re recently. Like you went, you you just gave me uh, a, a domain and said, <laughs> oh, there is an XSS on it. Just try to find it. Yeah. And like uh, one hour later, I was like, oh, there was a really cool challenge. <laughs> but we didn't have like the, the, the we didn't have the same answer to that challenge. Yeah. And like we looked at it and we're like why your payload works yeah. like, and actually created a lot of debates yeah. Yeah, <laughs> on, yeah. on Twitter. Yeah, I actually saw something like this recently. Somebody made a made a great Twitter post. We'll have to find it. I don't remember who it was, but they, they showed an example of a command injection yeah. where you could encode the command in this really, really weird. Yeah. It was like, there was like backslashes before each <laughs> letter and it's like all sorts of weird things. I was like, I looked at it, I was like, how how the heck does this even work? Yeah. And, and I actually bookmarked it because I need to go back later and I need to figure out how it works. And it's one of those things where you're like, if you can figure out fundamentally how this works, sure. the the fundamental parts of why it's working and what's going on there apply in other scenarios. You don't have to do it exactly like yeah. the exact same way, but you can use those pieces together to build it. To build it, and I, I think this is a great transition because you you made a video recently about UUID v1, oh, and yeah. want to talk about like deep dive and like understanding like weird nuance in something that seems very typical. UUID v1 versus UUID v, UUID v through two, three, four. It's yeah. it's a lot of nuance in there. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, definitely. Um, so I, I was hacking with Snowlax, like uh, you know the French team. We really hack a lot together, and um, this target we rehammered really it for uh, months and months, right? And we knew everything, and uh, this target had everything in scope so even third parties and uh, acquisitions and so we were on this new acquisition that wasn't that, that wasn't explicitly in scope and um he was like oh that's weird like uh the password reset is on another domain and he just linked it to me and i was like 
wait a minute, that's a UID V1. And why did that trigger is because I don't know why and I don't know how, but for, I think it was because I was programming something uh, that needed a UID. I was like, what's the difference between V4 and V1, right? Uh, actually, it's because at Mano Mano, we were fixing a third party stuff that had collision with V4. And I was like, what's the difference with UID anyway? And I found this uh, blog post from uh, Verse Sprite's team. Uh, actually, talking about UIDV1 being generated on uh, on timestamps. And I was like, that doesn't seem secure. And uh, it doesn't like just use timestamps. It also used the MAC address and the clock uh, ID of the machine. So the MAC address is basically the MAC address in hexadecimal format. So if the same machine generates two UIDs, it will say the same. The clock ID is the same. It's a value that is set at the creation of a machine, like uh, the first boot, and it will always stay the same. So you actually have like two chunks of the UID that always stay the same. And the last chunks are the version. So if it's uh, UID V1, you will see that the third chunk, the first uh, number will be the version. So it's one, two, three, four, five. It's the first first thing I look at whenever I yeah. see a UID is like exactly. third octet, first character, and if it's a four, I go. And if it's a yeah. one, I go. Ooh. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so, uh, when, and when you see one, you know that it's generated on timestamps, right? And so then you see that the um, the third chunk is actually the high, and then you have uh, the mid and the low. And I don't know exactly why they are called like that, but when you are put together, like uh, you, you you just concatenate them, it's it's doing an hexadecimal value, and this. This hexadecimal value, uh, when you put it in decimal, give you a time step yep. in the Julian calendar. So I went mm. on the internet searching why the Julian calendar, <laughs> and I didn't find the reason. Like, why the heck would you use that calendar? Yeah. Use epoch like normal people, you know? <laughs> And and then you can you know do some basic math. I'm really bad at math, so uh, of course those have to be basic. <laughs> and uh, to to put it in the um, epoch timestamp, and then you get the date with a normal converter. And like you 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 can have like some kind of disclosure of when this ID has been generated. Right. And now they they use UIDv1 for the password reset. And UIDv1 since you can know the time that have been generated and you yep. can reconstruct them really easily because yep. it's just, you know, uh, trying to do uh, plus one in the right. hexadecimal values, uh, you can actually do something called the sandwich attack. So basically you generate um, a password reset for the attacker. Yep. Then you generate one uh, for your victim and again for the attacker. Yep. And the attacker part is the layer of bread right. and the victim is like the ham, the garniture, yeah, everything. Yeah. And you basically sandwiched the reset token of your victim between your two uh, tokens. Yes. And uh, someone asked me, why do you need the other layer? Like you can just put the first one and the, the victim one and you can just brute force until you have the victim. Yep. It's just to give you um, a, a sense about if your script is working, like if you... Have a go bounce. over, yeah. yeah. If you go over that value, it means that you didn't find the ID, right? Right, and so there is another thing going on, right? So that's why it's better to sandwich. Yeah, yeah that's awesome. So much of this reminds me of CTFs. I, yeah, I, it, it, CTF, like security CTFs, do such a good job with these weird, these weird things. Stuff like UUID yeah. one is a great example where there's weird nuance to how things that might seem intuitive work, and that makes it perfect for a CTF yeah. where it'll be like, hey, look at this piece of code. This looks completely normal, but what's wrong with it? 
Yeah. Right. And you have to go, wait a second. Yeah. What is wrong with this? Oh, it's UUIDV1. And why is that vulnerable? Oh, because you can, you know, you can use timestamps and you can yeah. predict the next, the next value and so forth. And having that type of training, um, even though it's not like a bug bounty, it's very, very related and it builds yeah. some of that like fundamental knowledge and the, the understanding of those weird technologies, yeah. which honestly, they're weird, but they're used in the real world exactly. so often that it, it, it's not like a useless thing to know. It's it's a very very useful, powerful Definitely. piece of thing to to learn. And also, uh, yeah, yeah, I was so I was just gonna ask about that. Like, um, when when you're when you're, there was a really cool comment on on the the Twitter post you yeah. know, for that, and essentially it was saying, um, using the new smashing the state stuff. Yeah, I've seen is, the comments. Yeah. Did, did, so okay. Well, for, we'll say for those that, yeah. that are listening and haven't seen it. Uh, one of the comments on Twitter said, using the smashing the state um, research that James Kettle recently released, yeah. um, you should be able to get sub one millisecond, sure. um, uh, you know, almost collisions with your requests, right? They, they can be processed within yeah. the same millisecond. Uh, assuming that that process is generating a UUID V1, um, a UUID, do you know if they will collide or how, how, how will that work? Do you know? Um, so... Uh, UIDV ones uh, are on the nanoseconds. Ah, uh, uh, okay. So no, so <laughs> never. I, I, I don't, James, get do, yeah. do, do your shit and <laughs> make it faster, so, James. It, it, it might collide, but like I, 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 I don't really know the probability of that. Uh, but I think that was a really interesting comment because um, that's basically uh, have you seen like the um, article from James, Ped uh, James Kettle about uh, so you want to be a security researcher, mm -hmm. and he says you need to go uh, hunt for forgotten knowledge. So stuff that other people missed like for many, many years, for instance, DNS rebinding, 2005, everyone was using DNS rebinding and then it got lost. And someone was like, what if it works on the client side, yeah. <laughs> like of browsers? Yeah. And like, it's rebinding, that, yeah. that makes me remember something. Yeah. Yeah. Hunt for forgotten. heard that name in years. Exactly. <laughs> And try to create diversity from this forgotten knowledge. So basically, uh, this applied the logic of a vulnerability to other type of technologies and stuff like that. That DNS rebinding is a prime example of that. And then, uh, you have to get outside of your comfort zone. Your own comfort zone is the same as many other people. And so if you get outside of your comfort zone, you will be on untouched territory. And this kind of comments about, hey, can we take this research and this other research and smash them together? Go for it. No idea is stupid until proven wrong. And so I, I thought that this comment was so great. Uh, and uh, kudos to, to yeah. the person that thought about totally, it. Totally agree with that um yeah it, always looking for those sort of opportunities to combine those two yeah. pieces together and generate something new um so i we're, we're yeah. getting close to we're getting close to that what time is it actually yeah. uh, it's 10 45 okay we need to wrap up soon yeah. but i did want to ask um one last mm -hmm. thing regarding your you know experiences at live hacking events um like you said we we all have you know these collab people that we collaborate with that, yeah. that help uh and that you know we kind of complete right uh, and and complete us um so you collaborate uh, often with the the French team. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about the dynamics and what kind of lessons you've learned from that collaboration? Yeah. Um, the French team is uh, is super great. Uh, we didn't have a better name than just the French team. <laughs> so <laughs> the croissant team now there. And, uh, the croissant man. Yeah, the baguette. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, 
The baguette. <laughs> the baguette. Dude. Uh, that's, that's it. That's uh, it. Okay. okay. Uh, I'm going to bring some with them. That, that, <laughs> that'll be great. Yeah. And um, yeah, uh, we have an interesting dynamic. Uh, I'm actually really proud of that. <laughs> <laughs> you should. You should be. <laughs> oh, man. The royalties are going to be expensive on that one. Um, it's actually really great because on every live hacking event, we always manage to invite one of uh, the team. Yeah. And what's interesting is that um, the team is composed like at least of five people. So uh, we have uh, Doomer, Zachs, that uh, they both work at the BZ, BZ Hunt. They mm-hmm. created the company. Uh, we have Snorlax, who is an amazing mm-hmm. hunter. Uh, there is uh, Bonsoir Day, who is an uh, upcomer, but like mm-hmm. he did some amazing job with OpenSea recently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Crit after crit, right? Yeah. And uh, there is me. And there is me. speaks for itself. And, uh, <laughs> no, no, like, <laughs> and uh, you know me, of course. <laughs> and uh, Needless to say. I, I'm saying that because um, we are so different in our ways to hunt. Uh, for instance, Zach's is, is really methodological about the way. Like he, do- he does everything on a checklist. Like I'm going to check that, then that, then that. Doomer is really good at spreading and finding attack surfaces. Snow is really good about uh, you know finding specific vulnerabilities and also finding some weird stuff and I'm I think I'm good about uh, finding new research and so what happened is that Snorlax and I, and I it's like a, a counter-strike uh, esports team like we, we are with Snorlax the pivot like we are going on another direction while they are hunting on the main scope right and we are like doing some crazy weird stuff and once we find something interesting we give it to them to uh, first to Doomer to find an attack surface and to spread this vulnerability everywhere and then to uh zach's to add to the checklist of things to to check yeah. and everything this, this reminds me of i mean shubs especially is a great example because yeah. his recon game is insane and he'll yeah. just find like 15 different like weird things and he'll be like hey man yeah. i have this weird thing like do you want to go check it out i'm like yeah. yeah and just like how justin was saying oh i'll like point joel in the right yeah. direction <laughs> it's very much so like that where like the, you'll find a lead and you'll be like I, I think we can get this, but like, let, let me let you take a crack yeah. at it because I know you can yeah. do it. Shubs is like, you get a weird thing. You get a weird thing. You get a weird thing. <laughs> <laughs> weird He's thing. The Oprah of Recon. I love it. Uh, but, but yeah, like, um, the way the dynamics works, we are everyone. Each one of us have their own role, and uh, the Counter Strikes team is amazing because it, like it's the, a good example because you have the guys doing the entry points, you have the other one doing the support, and you have like the lurkers that are going to another direction, and that's basically what we're trying to apply uh, within the team. We do not want to be on, you know all looking at the same thing we want to spread yeah yeah. overlapping and um for instance at the epic games uh, event at the beginning of the year um we were all looking at different stuff and there was like this moment where hey i got this thing working do you think that on your scope it would work and we spread it that shit everywhere and it worked everywhere and that's the dynamic like we we want to do and we do not any overlap so that works great and also we are like really really great friends and we love to right. yeah you know when we're hunting 10 days in a row not sleeping the 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 last day we have mental breakdown and just 
at 2 a.m. not managing to write a report and like just someone breathing to the microphone makes us laugh for hours and hours and well like this is like the greatest thing ever about like being with your friends and not just you know working yeah, no, I, uh, I, it's definitely stuff. it's definitely an amazing experience and I want to I want to talk you know because last last time maybe it was last episode or the episode before I talked a little bit about some of the difficulties of collaboration just to be clear I am not you know, uh, against, I'm not anti-collaboration. I just think that there are some challenges and it seems like you yeah. and, and some of the other people that have, you know, been doing collaboration successfully, consistently have really ironed out those details. Yeah. And I think that's, that's awesome. And if Definitely. you do it in a way that's intentional and aligns with everyone's goals, then it rocks. And I experienced that as well. So yeah. it's, uh, it's great to see what, you, you doing that. What, what, what I like with collaboration, like I like to do, for instance, when I'm not collaborating with the French team is that for the beginning, I said, uh, I say like, how do you want to collaboration? Yep. How do you want to split? Yep. And before even finding vulnerabilities. Yep. So you say everything straight. And what I like to do is even if the other person does not find anything, but I know that they're actively searching, yep. I want to still give them 50% of, uh, yeah. uh, of the report because I know that if I continue collaborating with that person and that if I trust the person, yeah. I, they they will do the same yes, thing for absolutely. me, and we're going to balance out bounties yes. over the time, yeah. and that's you know how you create real bond and friendship. Yes. It's not about money; it's about you know having human yeah. interaction yeah, with trust. one another yeah. Yeah, and yeah, trust. Yeah. Exactly. Awesome. Well, that was I think that's like a perfect note to, yeah. <laughs> to end it on. I mean, yeah. Was there anything you want to shout out? Obviously, your company. Uh, what is it? L and H or L N H? Lupin and Arms. L uh, I. A-N-D-H dot tech yes. uh, for the website. Uh, I just want to say thank you guys for everything you've been doing on the podcast. It's just amazing. All the debates that is created. Amazing. Like uh, the one about programs, the one about <laughs> collaboration. I love it. Uh, that's what we needed in the community. So shout out to you guys uh, for everything you've been doing. Awesome. Yeah, well, thank you for being on. We really appreciate it. Yeah, and, um, yeah that's the pod, right? <laughs>